Good afternoon, everyone, and today we have another fabulous guest. We have a Mr. Eddie Mullins with me this afternoon, and Eddie is a gentleman that I have known, man, all the way back to the early years, a long time my family and his family have known each other, and so we have some good stories from this gentleman this afternoon, and I think you'll enjoy his story, so without further ado, let's hit it. Okay, Eddie in Thailand is with me today. How you doing, Eddie? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good, good morning. De- good deal. Way. Good morning. Well, good morning to you. <laughs> it's not morning here. <laughs> it's such a bizarre concept. The whole, you know, I go to work while you're sleeping thing. It's just kind of a weird. Yep. It's always amazed me. You know, um, I was just talking to my mom about that. You know, she's got a cousin who lives in Australia. She says, "Yeah, talking to her, it's like the seasons are reversed. The time is reversed. Everything. You know." Yeah. So, yeah, trying to stay involved with people back home when you live over here is quite difficult. I can imagine. I mean, I I don't even are your folks still in 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 the West Coast? They're still in Eugene. Okay. Okay. It's been a while. I had I mean I I communicate with them on on Facebook, but I had haven't actually talked to them in a long time. So, yeah, long time. So Isn't that crazy all the way back to uh the 5th grade for me, 6th grade for you. Yeah. I know it was where, where did you, well, so like, where did, where were you before fifth grade? I mean, where did you go to school before that? Um, so we have lived all over Oregon. I'm born and raised in Oregon and we've lived everywhere from like seaside Astoria area. Okay. I've lived all the way up through Canada and Alaska at some point. Um, wow. but I came from Pleasant Hill. Actually, I was over there for the third grade in Pleasant Hill. Pleasant Hill. <laughs> yep, I lived in Dexter in the Pleasant Hill area, and uh, then uh, they bought the farm there by Brookhurst, and uh, the grandparents did, and so we ended up moving there, and then I started the fifth grade and uh, met you and your brother and your your, your sisters and, heck, your whole mm. family, man. Yep. They, they've been part of my family for well, all the way back to the fifth grade. And you were, um, you were in my brother's class, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, and your mother has substitute teacher for me many times mm-hmm. and it's probably the only time i ever behaved <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah your mom was just so wonderful and so nice that man i just couldn't misbehave in her class and she yep. used to tell people that i don't know what people are talking about he's so well behaved <laughs> no, <no>. but she <laughs> had a, for she had a way she had a way with uh with the kids though your mom has a way with everything. She's mm-hmm. just a fantastic, wonderful human being. And your dad is just as wonderful. Yep. They're both pretty great. You guys hit the uh, parents super lotto. You have, <laughs> have amazing parents and an amazing family. That's, so it's it's been a truly pleasure to be a part of it. Um, that's pretty since neat. The fifth grade, so. And then you, um, when you were a uh, younger age, didn't you play? I remember watching you play baseball, I think, on my brother's team. Because you played and, baseball. Like uh, where in Cresswell? In or Cresswell, the, yeah. I mean, didn't you? Weren't you on the baseball team? Because I got my. I have memories I, of, of uh, sitting with your mom and dad watching you play baseball. Because my brother was playing too. 
Yeah, that was early on. He played early. Um, I think my freshman year, um, Coach Getz was the uh, the, well, the coach, Mr. Getz. Right. And uh, he was asking for anyone want to try out to be catcher. <sighs> and uh, I said I'd give it a go. And I think I started varsity at some point in my my freshman year. And right. I played varsity baseball ever since. Yeah. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, and then eventually played uh, Western Baptist. Um, now known as Corbin, right? Uh, university. They were just putting together a baseball team. And you played for them? I did actually before they even had a field or a practice field or anything. Huh. And uh, I'll come remember this point and I'll come back to it in, in my story. Um, kind of funny, not funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So uh, I'll revisit this baseball thing <laughs> and uh, Corbin University. Um, so yeah, you know. Um, lived all over the Pacific Northwest. I'll, I'll tell you what, man, I've been all over the world uh, in my lifetime. And uh, man, the Pacific Northwest just holds a dear spot. I don't know if everyone feels that way about where they grow up, but uh, magical place, still one of my favorite places. Bend, Oregon, to me, is still one of the the premier places to live. It's amazing, um, isn't it? Yep. It really is, man. If you're an outdoors person and you like to get outside and, and do fun stuff, man, it doesn't get any better. No. It really does. I don't know where it would be any better. I mean, I've been all over and, and Bend, Oregon, Smith Rocks, all that is just spectacular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, uh, my wife and I used to go to a bed and breakfast uh, for our anniversary every year. We'd go out, but they, they sold the place and it doesn't, it's not there anymore. But we used to, we would go out there and we would, uh, we spend three or four days there in the summer and it would, Every single time we'd go there, we'd th we'd find something new, some new hiking trail or something that we you can literally hike for all day in one direction. <laughs> oh yeah. If you if you're a hiker, ben, yeah, Ben, is, and it's we we found ourselves stopping and gazing at the Sisters Mountains, and you know, but the people there they they don't even see it. It's it's like how do you not notice these giant snow capped mountains? You know, cause yeah, just... it's crazy because they do. You start to kind of like, oh, well, that's just, you know, they're there. Right. Um, when I first moved there, I, I did the same thing, man. I'd be driving to work, um, you know, w w Redmond or wherever I was going, and mm -hmm. I'd just be like looking over like, wow, man. I mean, that's amazing. It, it is truly a spectacular sight, and mm -hmm. it's 80 degrees in the summer. You're out there tubing on the river, and you're looking at snow peak, snow-capped mountains. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and perfectly blue skies. Oh, mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah, love it there. Yep. I do truly miss miss Oregon, and I miss the fly fishing, the downhill mountain biking, mm -hmm. you know, all and everything in between. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a great place. It really is. So, you got high school. Did you do any sports in high school? Yeah, so like high school, I, I played basketball, baseball, and football, and uh, I had some offers in all sports for for college, and uh, I ended up uh, doing the basketball and baseball thing for Corbin, and they were. They they were you can't even really classify them as scholarships. It, it did nothing for me like financially. Uh -huh. Um, I was actually uh, working for the, the the school. I pushed a coffee donut cart around, sold orange juice and bagels and stuff, and I was doing that in between classes. And then after class, I would have you know basketball practice, and then once baseball fired up, then I would have two practices a day. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> 
I wasn't very studious, mind you. Right. <laughs> Study is not really the thing I like to do unless I like a topic. Sure. And that's where I started running into issues. One, um, you know, I was, a, I, I should have started out with this. I was adopted when I was three. And, uh, you know, you know, my parents, you've watched them cheer mm -hmm. me on athletic events my whole life. They're my biggest fan, you know, and I, I love them uh, tremendously. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyways, um, carrying on. Uh, yeah, playing two sports. I, I, I wasn't studious. I um, had some, I don't know what you would call it, separation anxiety. I don't know. When you're adopted, there, there's things that uh, with your personality you don't realize and nobody really explains it to you. Oh, and sure. uh, there's like, you know, acceptance issues and stuff. And, and now that I'm older, looking back, that's why I was always goofing off in class, trying to get attention. Like it, it, it stemmed directly from that. Yeah. So then when I got older, I started kind of recognizing it and I was like, huh, now some of that's making sense. Mm -hmm. But being in school, I, there was nothing that they were teaching me in there that I was interested in. And, uh, you know, we're taught most Americans are taught is, you know, you, you go to high school, you graduate, you go to university. And if you don't do that, you're, you're, you're making a mistake. Yep. And you know what? They're right. They're right. You need to be educated. You need to learn something that's going to, you know, benefit you down the road. I just couldn't find it in a university. Um, some of the stuff they were talking, I was asking questions in class. I didn't like the answers and I'm struggling because I don't want to do the work. I, I want to, I'm away from my parents for the first day. I want to go have fun and, and party. And man, let me tell you, Corbin University is a fantastic school. But if you are looking for a party school, do not go there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Rules and curfews. And, you know, then sporting events started to... Uh, you know, the practices were overlapping and I'm just like, what am I doing, man? I can't even afford to be here. <laughs> you know, I don't have enough money to even pay this. What am I doing? I, I, I think I'm going to go in the military. I, I, this is not a good fit for me. And to be fair, let me tell you how bad it was. Um, I come back, my roommate was your brother and I had irritated him so badly that I came into my room one day and he'd moved out. And the guy next to me had kicked out his roommate and moved him in with me. Yeah. So, um, and I probably deserved that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure I did. Um, your brother stayed, graduated, and I took an early exit. <laughs> you know, so I right. joined the military. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to go into the military, I want to try out for the hardest thing I can. You know, I, I wouldn't feel right if I didn't at least try to make the team. Sure. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I, I was going to go into the, the Navy SEAL program and, uh, that's pretty physical. I, yeah. You know, well, I mean, I was playing two sports in, in college. I was in pretty good shape. You know, I, I figured, uh, if anyone else can give it a go, I can give it a go. And, um, I have just as good a shot as anybody. And, uh, they caught me cheating on the colorblind test <laughs> and, uh, thank God they did bro. Um, underwater demolitions cut the red wire. Hmm. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Did yeah, you stay gray or part. red? Oh. Right. So uh, I went and started talking to the Army, and uh, they started telling me about the 75th Ranger Regiment, where, you know, it's the, the Army's entry-level special operations thing. And uh, I was like, well, yeah, I want to try that. And he's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, well, yeah, actually, I do. 
He's like, yeah, well, no one makes that. And I'm like, yeah, well, uh, I'm feeling pretty confident. And I remember he told me it wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to make it into the range regiment. Where do you think I went first in my class A's with my black beret? I, I went straight back to the recruiter to say, look, dude, I told you I'd make it. Uh, and uh, yeah. yeah, so then uh, I, I, I was doing, you know, uh, the basic training thing. And I was like, wow, this is a joke. You know, I was expecting physical punishment and, and you know, you see the movies and uh, I was like, this is absolutely made for fat kids. This is, this is so easy. It's oh, not even funny. Interesting. And yeah. So then I was lucky. I had drill sergeants that were like, Hey, where's all my ranger contracts? And he's like, look guys, I'm not picking on you. I'm doing this for your own benefit. And he would just tear us up, you know, constantly making us do push-ups and, and all this extra stuff during basic training because he knew what we were signed up for. We were on ranger contracts and reality's about to hit us. <laughs> and uh, so by the time that I graduated basic training, uh, infantry, advanced training, airborne training, and I get to the 75th Ranger Regiment, their indoctrination program. Yeah, if I thought basic training was a joke, this year as hell wasn't. These guys were some of the most physically fit men I've ever seen in my life. And they're coming out there and they're just, they're, they're stealing your soul. <laughs> you know, wow. you can't keep up with them and they are just in such great shape. And, uh, you know, they've dedicated their life to their craft. And, uh, yeah, it's a wake up call. So and, is, uh, how does Army Ranger compare? Is that similar to like the Delta Force or is it? So what you have is you have a special operations community. Inside that community, you have different special operations uh, units. So you have, uh, you know, Army Rangers. Then you have uh, Green Berets. Then you have uh, Combat Actions Group. Okay. So for the Army, that's basically the progression of, of special operations. Okay. Rangers can go in as a, you know, well, you can actually go into Special Forces now, too, on the X-ray program. So I guess, yeah, they're both the same. But it's like if you are exceptional in the Ranger Regiment or in the, you know, in Green Berets, um, you can try out for Combat Actions Group, and you actually know them as, like, you know, the unit Delta Force, that kind of stuff. Ah, so that's what those are. Okay. Yeah, so that's the creme de la creme. That, that, that's handpicking the best of the best of the best of the best, and then dwindling their numbers down to, like, a couple dudes. And uh, those guys are fit, smart. Just be glad they're on your side, mate. Exactly. Just be glad they're on your side. And then, you know, you got uh, Navy SEALs. And uh, then from there, there's uh, uh, SEAL Team 6, which you've heard of, um, Development and Research Group. And uh, that's like the, uh, the, the, the Delta Force. Um, they're they're kind of similar. They're, they're, they're anti-terrorist, you know, units. Um, then you have the Marines. They, they have their special operations uh, teams now. And, uh, you know, they all work together under like JSOC or USASOC, which is like Joint Special Operations uh, okay. Command, that kind of stuff. Um, but they all have a different mission. So when it comes to like being a commando, the uh, raids, um, capture, kill, high value targets. Um, you know, Rangers led, had the, the most high value capture, kill out of any other special operations unit through the global war on terror. There's less Rangers than there are Navy SEALs. Hmm. And uh, most people don't know that. They think, oh, Navy SEALs, BUDS, um, Hell Week, oh, my God. Um, 
and it, it is due to the swimming confidence that that stuff's no joke but there's still quite a few seals um seals you don't want to mess with them in water these guys are demolitions expert they're your worst nightmare if water is near fact those guys are amazing at what they do um green berets they go into a foreign country and uh, start training locals making friends um so if there is an operation that needs to get done in a certain area these guys have built up relationships training and and, and working and living with you know indigenous uh, personnel from from that country and uh they're not typically uh i mean they're a fighting force don't get me wrong man when we first went after the taliban it was green berets sitting up with radios calling in you know airstrikes that decimated the taliban um in, in the beginning of of the afghan war uh and then you have there's there's some communications uh units that are special operations and then you have like uh, intelligence gathering that special operations and all together they're they're an awesome community but each one has a specific job yeah so everyone always wants to ask who's better you know <laughs> right that's the thing everybody wants to compare but it's like comparing apples and oranges do we have completely different mission sets rangers are going to come in they're going to do a raid in the middle of the night or they're going to take an airfield they're not going to go out and do patrols and do a bunch of stuff like that yeah oh i, I truly think moving forward what you're going to see is you're going to see more special operations and less like just uh infantry units sure. um because you saw they backfilled all the infantry with the national guard during the global war on terror right like anybody can drive around a humvee and 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 and, and wave at locals you know but the combat fighting force and that's what we saw you know there'd be 5000 people on a base and there's 50 dudes that are out fighting yeah it's crazy all all i ever think when i hear the word delta force i i just think of chuck norris and that's all i that's all the image course. i have in my head you know just... <laughs> that's the image you should have so right. when i think of delta force i think of him sitting there with his little mp5 you know on the the the, the front of the movie cover right <laughs> what was that superstation wtbs movies for guys who like movies right and that was like chuck norris stallone schwarzenegger van damme you know. oh of course man oh what man. a great time to grow up dan and i watched two two or three different van damme movies that were just we were just in awe of his fighting skills it was that guy was amazing oh dude blood sport cyborg blood. back in the day oh my yep. goodness yep. no wonder i wanted to go in the military <laughs> So, yeah. so what ended up happening, mate, is I, I went in the military and I was at Fort Benning and, uh, remember I said I was going to revisit a, a topic of uh, baseball. Okay. I'm a, on Fort Benning. I'm at the, the main post gym and I'm playing a pickup game of basketball. Hmm. Funny. You've seen me do that a time or two. Sure. <laughs> and I'm playing ball and this dude's like looking at me and he's like staring at me. And I'm finally, I'm to the point where I kind of walk over and I'm like, Hey man, what's up? You know, do I, do I know you? What's kind of like staring at me dude and he's like your name's eddie and i'm like uh oh yeah and I, and I wasn't wearing like my name tape on my you my my I, I was in you know shorts and a tank top and i was like yeah man i'm like how do you know my name he's like you played baseball for uh western baptist university and i was like yeah man like how the heck do you know this who are you and he's like i was a senior when you were a freshman and we were on the baseball team together and i'm like oh oh matter of fact i recognize you now you know and we were talking he's like what happened to you and i'm like well you're looking at it man he's like so here's what happened my parents moved to alaska in a logging camp huh. i left Cresswell and i joined the, the military 
Do you know that Corbin, well, Western Baptist, they tried for six months. They were going to give me a full ride for baseball. <laughs> no way. Yep. They were oh. going to give me a full ride scholarship for baseball, and they couldn't contact anyone in my family. My parents were gone up in Alaska, and I joined the military, and there was no one else to contact. So, uh, yeah, I missed out on a full ride of uh, baseball scholarship at, at Western Baptist. Holy cow. <laughs> that's that's, mm -hmm. that's an interesting turn of events. Yeah. yeah. So, so then, uh, you know, I, I stayed in the military for a while and uh, I had some unfortunate stuff that happened, some my fault, some not. And uh, I decided that, you know, the military is not what I thought it was and I want no part of it. Well, okay. I got the college money now. I'll go back to university and, uh, you know, maybe even try to play ball somewhere. And, uh, Funny enough, uh, my grandmother at the time, I believe, was doing elderly care for the athletic director's mom for U of O. Wow. And uh, without me knowing, you know, they had saved my my high school and college, like all my clippings from the paper. Mm -hmm. And grandma, God bless her soul, took this to him and showed him. And he was like, I want him to come in. At least he can like try to be a walk on or at least try out, you know, for some different sports and stuff. And uh, I don't know if you can make a layup right now, but like, I can't. <laughs> and uh, after being in the military for three years, I had absolutely no skill to go in and play, you know, division one college, anything. Right. And uh, so I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to go there and embarrass myself. You know, he's telling me to come try out as a walk on. And I'm just like, there's just no way, man. And uh, so then life happened, you know, I got a job and the job was a, a minimum wage graveyard at the local mill in Cresswell, where every meth addict and high school dropout that we've ever known in our life, that's where they work. And now I'm living at my parents' house. I'm not in college. I just left the military and I'm working with them. <laughs> Talk about hitting rock bottom, brother. Wow. Like, I was doing some soul searching like this is all me. I did everything to myself that led to me being here right now. And this is unacceptable. And, uh, you know, then I met a girl, we moved to Bend and it just kept, just kept eating at me, man. I, I I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I, I'm barely getting by. I, I, I'm not progressing <laughs> as an adult. I am permanently stuck in, I'm 18. This is unacceptable. And uh, so I started talking about reenlisting, you know, 9-11 happened. And uh, yeah, man, 2003, I'm like, that's it. Like I, this, I'm going back into the military. You know, I got out, I didn't like it, but I'm a little bit older now. And uh, you know what? I can change the military. I can get rank and I can become a leader and I can try to do it better and better than some of the leaders that I had. Sure. And uh so uh, I was looking at going active duty and they didn't have what I wanted. They wouldn't give me what I wanted, um, which was like unit of choice. I wanted to pick where I went in the army. And they were like, well, no, you can have post of choice. You can pick where you want to go, but not what unit. So I was like, no, thanks. Well, then I heard that the local Oregon National Guard boys were deploying to uh, Baghdad. Mm -hmm. So uh they put me on the phone with the first sergeant and I was talking to him and he's like, what's your background? I go 75th Ranger Regiment. He's like, please come, please, please oh. come. I need guys with your experience, you know, and he made promises and, uh, I took him at his word and, 
I turned around the military for myself. Like I hated it when I got out and I went back in and I found a new passion for it. I'm good at it. That's it awesome. Natural. And uh, where I didn't like to study and, 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 you know, certain topics in, in college, man, I can pick up some of these skills without even trying. This comes naturally. I like this stuff and I can just kind of pile it on. And uh, I had a fantastic deployment. Um, to their credit, the Oregon National Guard, uh, my first sergeant, um, my platoon sergeant, hell, everyone in my chain of command did exactly what they said they would do and then some. And uh, I went from where I thought some of my leadership and other units had a lack of integrity. All the guys with, with the Oregon National Guard that I served with, it was just the opposite. They had immense amounts of integrity. And uh, it made me fall in love with, with that line of work again. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So as we're deployed, I'm running into these guys on like, uh, uh, you know, the green zone in Baghdad, you know, we go to the hospital to, to visit our wounded and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing these guys, big beards, tattoos, you know, and I'm like, man, I've worked with almost every special operations group in the world. Who the hell are these guys? And, you know, they got amazing guns. Their kit is like, you know, the most name brand Gucci, awesome stuff you've ever seen. And it's, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I mean, he looks like something out of, you know, uh, an eighties movie, you know, and I'm asking him, I'm like, uh, Hey man, who the heck are you guys? And he's like, we're triple canopy. And I'm like, you're triple what? What? Triple I'm like, what's triple canopy? And he's like, we're contractors. And I'm like, you build shit? And they started laughing, you know? And these guys have arms the size of most people's legs. They're just yoked. They're just big, bushy beard, grizzly atoms. They look like, you know, they'll, they'll chew you up and spit you out. Right. And uh, I'm asking him if he builds stuff because he says he's a contractor. And, you know, and they're laughing at me. And I don't know any better at this point. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out who these clowns are. And uh, they're like, no, we, we do security contracting. And I'm like, really? Here? In Baghdad? As a civilian? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, uh, well, what's it pay? And I think at the time, the guy said something like, uh, it's like $170,000 a year. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second. You're getting paid to guard these people here, right over here, and you're getting paid one hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year to do it. And I'm here for like a thousand bucks a month. What am I doing wrong? No, no, no. This, this, this. I'm go. I'm going about this the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I had a little notebook, and I was writing every time I saw these dudes that are, you know, some kind of security company. I'm like, hey, man, who you guys work for? And they'd give me the name and I'd write it down. And, and some of my friends were like teasing me. They're like, oh, you think you're going to do that? And I'm like, hell yeah. Why wouldn't I? And, uh, you know, I had like 40 companies written down over the course of one year being deployed. And uh, I went back home and I just started firing resumes off. And, uh, man, I didn't hear anything. I was really bummed. I come back and I, I hear nothing from any of these companies. And I'm like, wow, you know, maybe I'm not what they're looking for. So you put in all that work all year and then nothing. Oh yeah, man. You know, all the, the, the buddies teasing and harassing over it. And, uh, so the, the, you seen the picture of the picture, the, the video of them pulling down the Saddam Hussein statue in, in, in Baghdad. Oh yes. Everybody's seen that. Okay. So right at that traffic circle right there is the Baghdad, Palestine Sheridan Hotel Complex. That's where all the media stays. 
So there's a lot of contractors, diplomats, you know, uh, dignitaries, people coming in and out to be interviewed by the news, the news crews coming in and out. Well, it's a high target. So, you know, they're constantly trying to, to, to shoot rockets into the building or blow up the front gate or whatever, you know, they know the media is right. There. So part of uh, our, our, our mission as Oregon National Guard is that hotel complex was actually in our area of operation. So you'd go out and do like, you know, a week of like combat patrols and you do like a week of uh, uh, base security and then a week at like the hotel complex, which, you know, two of you got an actual hotel room um, in an actual hotel. And, you know, we were, we had guys on the roof and guys positioned all over to protect it. But it was like a little bit of luxury living, you know, as a soldier, you get to go to this nice fancy hotel and two of you sleep in an actual hotel room and stuff. So we always looked forward to it, but it was always action, always messing with the front gate and, and people trying to get access that aren't supposed to. And oh, uh, sure. yeah, so uh, I was always kind of put down on the front gate and I always kind of thought I was being punished. I'm like, man, why don't I get to sit up on the roof and smoke cigarettes with my feet up, you know, and I'm down here at the front gate dealing with just this massive amounts of chaos. And, uh, you know, I, I become friends with, with the platoon sergeant and I was asking him, I'm like, what, man, you don't like me or what? Like, why do you keep sticking me down there? And he goes, because there's radio silence when you're down there. You just take care of it and you just make it happen. Hmm. And uh, I was like, well, that's a compliment. So it, it, it doesn't pay to be reliable. <laughs> you get extra sure. duty, you know. Um, but so I'm trying to get a job and I get a phone call. And it's actually Steve, my platoon sergeant. And he's like, hey, man, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm working in a mill, you know, at home. And uh, he's like, you want to do contracting? I'm like, dude, I've been applying everywhere, man. Like, I, I can't get picked up. And he goes, well, here's the thing. Um, Halliburton, Kellogg, Brown and Root, you know, we used to uh, protect them when they were at the, the hotel complex. Um, Platoon Sergeant Steve used to go up and work in the, uh, you know, like, like the uh, security operations center. So mm -hmm. he made friends with all of the upper echelon guys. So they hired him to come back to Iraq and work as a, uh, like a, uh, an office guy, mm -hmm. like a, a security operations. And uh, they're like, Hey, we need one more security coordinator. Um, who was that guy that was always at the front gate? And then he was like, Oh, you know, that, that was Corporal Mullins. And they're like, yeah, does he want a job? And so Steve was calling me to offer me a job to go back and be a contractor. So I'm like, Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. <laughs> in the meantime, I, you know, I was married, um, met a girl there in Cresswell. She was actually from Bend and, uh, together like seven years. And, uh, we decided that, you know, me going back in would be a good thing. And, uh, yeah, it, it ended up being our demise time apart. Some other things kind of forced my hand. So I, you know, I, I divorced her, but I was in Iraq as a soldier piecing together what's taking place back home. Hmm. And, uh, when your platoon sergeant comes up, pulls you aside and says that he's going to send you home. I was like, you know, as a squad leader, I'm going, no, you know, all my, all my soldiers get to rotate home for vacation before I go home. And, uh, he's like, yeah, he goes, look, man, you got some personal stuff going on and it's pulling you away. And he goes, I need you at your best. I rely on you and I count on you and I need you to go home and figure, sort this out. Hmm. 
so that kind of humbled me, man. Like I, I was like, wow, okay, well, he's serious. So that means I'm not doing things the right way. Or he sees that, you know, I, I'm, I'm headed the wrong direction. So he sends me home and uh, I get, I visit my wife and uh, yeah, man, my spidey senses were tingling, man. There was all kinds of crazy things happening that just were completely out of the ordinary for, for, for me, you know? Sure. Um, nobody calls my house past eight o'clock at night. You know, they know I get up and go to work or, you know what I mean? And there's phone calls all hours of the night. So she, she ended up, uh, you know, seeing other people and stuff. So I come home, bro. How, how, how upsetting is this? I come back from my rack and all of the Oregon National Guard goes to Eugene, except for those of us that lived in Central Oregon. Mm -hmm. So we had a separate bus that took us out to, uh, 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 like Redmond, I think it was the VFW hall in Redmond. Okay. And, uh, you know, everybody's coming home to a hero's welcome. I felt bad. My parents actually showed up at the Eugene armory thinking I was going to go there. Oh felt no. Bad. Yeah. I felt terrible, but you know, I'm standing here at the VFW, everybody's meeting and greeting and, and loving on their, their, their soldiers coming home. And I'm just standing there by myself and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And, uh, you know, people are like, you know, hey, son, you need a ride home? And I'm like, good grief. What is this, like World War II? Like, no, nah, man, my wife's coming. I, we have cars. I own vehicles. Like, right, you know. Right. Yeah. And uh, and finally, uh, she shows up, and I didn't even recognize her. Um, oh, no. Yeah, you know, she was a rock climber, gymnast, and everything. And, and, and man, she got into drugs and stuff. And Oh, no. It, yeah. And so that was coming back from my rack as a soldier. So I come back and I'm pretty sure I know what's been taking place. Um, I don't know it yet, but I have post-traumatic stress and uh, yeah, then started the down world, the downward spiral, man. I try, I forgave her. I couldn't forget. And then, uh, you know, we tried to work through it and I had this job opportunity to go contracting. So we talked about it and we decided this is a good thing. You know, you going and making one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year—that's a good thing. And I'm like, yeah, I think so. You know, we can <laughs> do a lot. We can do a lot with a with a job like that. And immediately, I get to work. I sign a contract, and she's like, "Yep, yeah, no, come home now." And I'm what? like, "Yeah, dude." And you know, and I'm like, a good husband would be like, "Okay, that's my wife. That's my life partner. That's what you do for your wife." And I was like, yeah, but this chick's been cheating on me, doing drugs. Like she was paying boyfriend's rent with my paychecks. They were driving my truck while I was gone. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not giving up this job for that. No. And uh, I kind of put my foot down. So then, you know, it's funny. You know what got me to come to Thailand? Meet the parents. The movie. Operation Koh Samui. Say again? Operation so, what? Koh Samui. Koh Samui. The, the, Koh Samui is the island of Samui. So when uh, I, he was like, you know, oh, Jack Talk Thai, Jack Talk Thai real well. It's because he'd bought tickets to Koh Samui. He was going to send them there on their, their honeymoon. Right. Yep. And so I'm like, the island Koh Samui, I don't know what that is. So I Googled it and I'm like, well, shoot, man, if it's good enough to put and meet the parents as a travel destination, that's where I'm going to take my wife to try to, to work on this, this marriage and try to fix it. So that's why I flew her to Koh Samui, and that was the first time I came to Thailand. And how crazy is it? But that's the 
that that that's what led me to go there was meet the parrots. No way. Yep. And so she came over and we were supposed to be there for two weeks. And after one week, I, I'm, I'm guessing, um, I'm assuming, um, that she was coming down and like, she started smashing up the, the villa. Like I, I, I've got a really nice private villa right on the beach. You know, I did what, it, what, what they tell men to do. You remove yourself from the situation. You go for a walk, you calm down. You don't go back, scream, fight, or put hands on, you know, your wife. So I left like three times, man. And every time I came back, you know, she was still like breaking stuff in the villa to where security was standing there. And he's like, uh, you know, I, I, I call police, I call police. Now I didn't speak Thai at the time, but I know what I call police mean. Right. And, uh, I went in, I go, look, you got to stop. You have to stop. Like they're going to call the police, you know, and I'm, I'm fresh out of Baghdad, you know, as a combat veteran, like I'm not used to being in foreign countries all that much. Like the last thing I want to do is go to jail in Thailand. And, uh, I had to restrain her. And when I did that, it left bruises. Oh, no. Yeah. And uh, she goes, well, I'm leaving tomorrow and you're coming with me. And I'm like, I'm not leaving tomorrow. I have a week left of this vacation and I'm going back to work because I signed a contract. I'm like, and if you leave, then uh, I'm going to file for a divorce. And she goes, well, I'm leaving. And I'm like, the the, the papers will be served to you. And that's exactly what happened. and so now I am single. I have a good amount of money because I've been contracting for, you know, a year and a half now. And that's, you know, it took a year to finalize the divorce and everything. Yeah, now I, I have post-traumatic stress. I have a good chunk of money. I'm lonely, newly divorced. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Living in Thailand. Yeah, so uh, you've seen The Hangover too. <laughs> mate bangkok had me right i went off the deep end um literally i hit rock bottom brother um yeah it was devastating i lost all my money i lost uh, in a year i went through probably two hundred thousand us dollars wow um i got married and divorced in a year i couldn't afford my overstay because I overstayed my visa in Thailand. I, I, I couldn't even afford to pay the overstay, let alone buy a plane ticket out of Thailand. And uh, <laughs> I borrowed money. My, my dad got hurt on the job and he got a settlement. And uh, for the first time in my life, I asked to borrow money. Luckily for me, there was a job offer and uh, I started doing uh, diplomatic protection. So uh, in my contracting career, I've done Halliburton, Basra oil contracts. From there, I went and I started training Iraqis um, on M16s, M4 weapons platforms. I was the lead instructor there. Then from there um, was the the break. Um, and that break was me breaking, my life breaking. And uh, there was a down period in between contracts. And that's, you know, I lost everything during then. So I got this, this job offer, it's high threat diplomatic protection. I was just thankful to get a job, I, you know, any contract for that matter. And that was, as, that was in Afghanistan, is that correct? No, so oh. this was in, in Baghdad the, oh, okay. the first time. 2009 is when I started doing high threat diplomatic protection. I was on a mobile uh, diplomatic protection team. You know, you, you, you've seen it in the movies, you know, four black suburbans, you know, pull up and 
12 dudes with beards and tattoos gets out and, you know, they're protecting some client, you know, in the movies, it's probably some cartel drug dealer, you know, and these guys all look like mercenaries and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we are, but <laughs> we're not mercenaries because we're doing it with us government, you know? Um, but we're a bunch of dudes with varying backgrounds from all over the military. And, uh, you know, we got guys that are, um, designated marksmen or snipers we have you know paramedics on our teams we got guys with a vast vast uh, uh array of skills man i really liked it the, the the diplomatic protection teams were man it's serious business right and, and uh, it pays pretty good too huh? it pays very good you know on average right now i think the guys are still if you're a new hire um, you're probably making 350 bucks a day, which isn't great now. Um, but if you've been a leader before, you know, you can get up to 550, 600 bucks a day. Even now that, that, that's still good money. Uh, 600 yeah. bucks a day. I'll take it any day. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, doing the diplomatic protection there and then they started having all the visa crises. And I remember when I first started working in Iraq, my, 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 my visa cost me one US dollar, one dollar. <laughs> wow. wow. So I'd go, I'd go into Baghdad International Airport and I would pay one dollar and I'd get my visa. Then I remember it went to $21 and it had to be a 20 and it had to be a one. It couldn't be two tens. Nope, it couldn't be four fives. Nope, it had to be a 20 and a one. Then it went up to a hundred and one. And it had to be a hundred dollar bill. It had to be a what? It was so crooked and just so blatant. It's so bizarre. It just completely bizarre, dude. But then uh, the the visas started getting hard to get the work visas. So uh, guys started leaving Iraq, going to Afghanistan and stuff. They started letting guys stay at home. So let's say I go on vacation for you know 30, 35 days. What they were doing is going, oh, well, you know, work permits are hard to get. Work visas are hard to get. So here's what happens. You want to join a high threat diplomatic protection team. You're going to go through about a month and a half of training. And that training costs uh, upwards of probably about $55,000, $60,000 per person. So if I own the company and I send you to training, I don't get the government doesn't repay me the cost of your training until you deploy to Iraq and have done 30 days on ground. So they let all of us veterans that have been with the company for years, they didn't get us work permits. They let us stay at home and they got all these new cats that have been through training, waiting to deploy, gave them all work permits and work visas and deployed them all. While all of us guys that have been with the company, been sitting at home, you know, going through our, our savings account, waiting to deploy. So it took me 10 months to get back. Oh my 10 months. So I burned through, yeah, I burned through every bit of money we'd saved. You know, I just got back into work. I was like, you know what? I I don't like the way this sit. You had people that have been here for you, um, giving up vacations when you were understaffed and you just basically shit on them and let them stay at home. So you could recoup some money knowing full well, you're going to get all that money back anyways, but you, you weren't loyal to your people. And if you're not loyal to your, your people and to your team, then I don't want to be on the team. Hmm. Um, So I switched over to Afghanistan and instead of picking up diplomats and running them around town, 
to meetings. I just worry about the embassy compound itself. Me and my teams were emergency response teams, and we just basically, any kind of threat to the embassy, uh, we deal with it. Any kind of medical emergency, any kind of, uh, any emergency for that matter, we're the emergency response team. So um, I didn't have to leave the camps. I got to stay on camp, and it was just safer. And the money, at the time, the money was better. So it was more money and safer. Yeah, I like that. that that's a great combination. That's a good combination, yes. Yeah, and uh, so I've been there, man, eight years, all the way up until I was actually coming home on vacation. I was in quarantine, and my teams had to evacuate the the embassy. All my gear that I left back in, and you know, why I came home for vacation, got shoved into a big hole and lit on fire. What? Yeah, that that's so. You know, I, I told myself that you know I'm not going to get into politics and stuff, but I'll say this, man. The Biden administration jeopardized the lives of the people in Afghanistan and that embassy more than anyone can ever imagine. It is criminal what they did. Criminal. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. I, I was wondering if you were going to comment on anything that happened over there but with what happened. Yeah. So we're building. So look, to have a U.S. embassy in a country, you have to have certain things. You have to have a role to hospital. Right. You got to have, uh, you know, Kazakh and Medivac capabilities and you have to be able to defend yourself. So knowing that the military was drawing down in Afghanistan, we're building up our diplomatic bases, right? The U.S. Embassy and then and, and compound over by the airfield, um, by the actual uh, Karzai International Airport. We were building up the camps. So the diplomatic camps like uh, at the airfield. We don't have Apache attack helicopters. We don't have um, uh, the CRAM system that shoots missiles and rockets and mortars out of the air. But we started putting all that in place because the military was leaving. We're looking at building our own role to hospital. This is kind of money they're looking at spending, building an entire hospital at the embassy. And they were already doing all of this stuff. I go on vacation, and within two weeks, it went from here's all the, the barracks we're building because we're going to have to have some military soldiers here, the ones that fly the, the attack helicopters that are now on station at our embassy compound. Yeah, it, we went from building it up, literally just convoys of trucks, bringing building materials, building stuff around the clock to two weeks later, they're burning my stuff in a hole in the ground because we are fleeing running from the Taliban. It's, it's unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Yeah, so sad that in a, in a two week period, we can go from, I'm literally escorting these trucks from other places to our base to build it up, to stop everything. We're fleeing for our lives. Yeah. It's criminal. Unbelievable to me. Now then to give a list to the Taliban, Here's all the people that we'd like to have access to the airfield so we can evacuate them. Here's all their names. Right. Like who does who does that? Look, I, I I didn't graduate college. I wasn't very studious. I graduated with like a two four GPA from high school, man. Like I didn't apply myself. I don't like that stuff. And even I'm smart enough to know that there's something funny about that. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. There. Yeah. yeah just. It was absolutely criminal, man, and it put a lot of people's lives in danger. It cost a lot of people their lives. Afghanis that worked at the embassy, good people. Like, luckily, those most of them that I know that I cared about got out, and they're in America, and uh, 
yeah, they're living the dream and they, they're loving it. And I'm so happy for them that they made it out because a lot didn't. Yeah, because there was a time where you, I mean, they were, um, they were going to, they were like shooting and killing anybody who had any ties with anything American. Oh, yeah. I, and, and, you know, there's a reason why you're not seeing any news stories out of there. You know that, right? Yeah. The Democrats are in power and it was Biden's call to pull out of there. Well, they're not interested in fair, balanced news and telling you the truth. Well, that would make the Biden administration look bad. So we just won't talk about that anymore. Oh, hey, what's that, Ukraine? Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody, Ukraine, Ukraine, everybody, <laughs> right. Ukraine, look that way, Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. Yep. That's, let me put it this way. Democrats hated Donald Trump. I think that's safe to say, right? They spent four years attacking that man and his family from every avenue that they possibly could. They've tried to indict him in New York, and that indictment just got dry. They have tried for five years to destroy this man's life with investigations, attacked this man nonstop. <laughs> you, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and now they don't want they, they don't want to bash Joe Biden. So they just don't talk about it anymore. And it's 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 so ridiculous. And here's the thing. Democrats don't like Donald Trump. When Donald Trump got elected president, do you know how many people at the embassy quit? Oh, I none. imagine. Oh, none. Yeah. So if, if you're a Democrat and you're a hardcore left liberal and someone like Donald Trump comes in with his you know, questionable way of saying things that can be taken different ways. What would make you want to stay and work for that man and, and actually implement his policies? You hmm. get what I'm saying? Yeah. When Donald Trump lost and Joe Biden won, do you know how many people quit the U.S. Embassy in Afghanistan? Mm -mm. None, bro. <laughs> They're all in it together. The left, the right, the government... They say left and right because that separates us. That divides me and, and my neighbor into two separate because he's a Democrat, he's more liberal, and I'm more conservative or vice versa. Right. Government is none of the above. They're not. They're interested in one thing, taking money from your pocket and put it in theirs. That's it, mate. That's why I'm not going back to work right now. That That's why I'm staying home. I need money because COVID has hurt my business and stuff. But I don't ever want to play for that team again, ever, right. unless I have to, unless I absolutely have to, and it'll be completely self-serving at this point. Sure. It is a rigged game. The news, it's, it's, I've seen myself on the news in Iraq. Um, they, they set off car bombs that killed like 120 people. And I'm, mm. I happen to be nearby and, and, and we went in to give first aid to, to these, these, these people that were, you know, blown to bits you know and we go back to the dining facility that evening it's like oh u.s soldiers provoke attack in downtown baghdad oh, and there's boy. me and my boys like, and i'm like provoke shit they blew up women and children and i went there to give them first aid but <laughs> that's how the media works and it's so disgusting and so man it's another reason why i don't live in america brother i don't speak thai very well i don't have to hear any of the nonsense man yeah i just turn out the noise <laughs> you speak some Thai though, right? I'm sure you do by now. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Because you do uh, have. I'm not home very much, so right. You know, I'm trying to trying to pick it up now. Right. You know what I'd like to talk about, Garen? Um, what really matters to guys like me is uh, what's what soldiers go through when they come home. That's something that uh, you know we all see it in social media and stuff. Oh, you know the the helplines and you know. 
talk to your fellow your soldier and and people are like yeah yeah that's a nice thing that, yeah that yeah 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 but you know how many people actually show patience when they do have a soldier that's struggling not very many people man yeah it becomes a burden a nuisance you're you're thoughtful and 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 you're you're empathetic to it for a short time but you know what that problem didn't fix itself overnight and now i don't have the patience to listen to it right or i don't have the the patience or the understanding to to realize why they're drinking so heavily now mm-hmm. and uh i'll tell you the thing that surprised me man it wasn't the things that i thought it was good so the things that gave me uh ptsd or the the what i suffered from post traumatic stress my my symptoms and stuff right. man they were not anything of what i thought they were going to be completely mm. so i i didn't recognize them i didn't recognize them when i had them because that's not what i thought post traumatic stress was i thought post traumatic stress was i'm shaking and i can't sleep because you know they're going to come up and kill me and snatch oh. my body you know whatever right. you know that's that's not what where it comes from man post traumatic stress is think of depression man depression comes in so many different forms oh yeah and uh you know for a person that's never been depressed they're like what the hell is wrong with you man like shit smile bro smile and they don't realize like you can't fix something you can't fix and for me and what i've seen with 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 fellow soldiers and some of the things like uh okay for here's an example um i deploy for a year let's say i could have been with my wife for 20 years I deploy and for a year she's had to change her routine and her daily schedule to cover down on my absence to 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 do the things that she needs to do she had to change her life and then when I come back home I've been doing a mission for a year I'm used to things being a certain way for a certain reason and I come home now they can't they can't always be my way right everything I do can't be uh, if, if I fail, someone's going to die, that kind of <laughs> yeah. pressure right here is immense. Mm-hmm. And when you come home and they're like, um, did you take out the trash? And you're like, no. And she's like, man, I, I, you know, I told you to take out the trash. I asked you to take out the trash and you're just like, pardon the language, but like, what the fuck makes that so important? It's the trash, you know, it's not like somebody's going to die. And you mm-hmm. may not say that outright, but you have that feeling inside you of like, what matters i know what matters is me and my boys out on patrol trying to survive the day without somebody getting injured or killed so we can all go back home to our families mm-hmm. the purpose the meaning behind that the camaraderie of your brothers like that's no shit life and death yeah like, it really is this isn't you know hey we lost a gonzaga you know, this is people who have <laughs> right. a bad day. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the you don't realize what that does to you when you're doing that day in and day out, day in and day out. So you come home and you don't have any purpose. You think of a, you jump out of an airplane, let's say you, you skydive. Oh, amazing adrenaline dump, the dopamine's flowing. Man, you're, mm-hmm. you're flying high, man. This is the greatest thing in the world. I can't wait to go skydiving again. Well, after that, let me take you into uh, an arena where there's other guys with real guns and we're trying to shoot each other in the face for real. Let's see what your adrenaline does when you start seeing people getting their face blown off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Like skydiving all of a sudden isn't really that spectacular. Mm-hmm. So you come back and you're expecting, man, you've built it up. Oh, when I see my wife, 
there's going to be a slow montage where she's running slow motion through the field and I'm running after her and we're going <laughs> to, you know, yep. wrap my arms around her and I'm going to lift her up and she's going to do like the airplane, you know, body thing above me and we're going to spin in circles and, you know, miraculously flowers are just going to start like blowing around flower petals and you just build up this huge bullshit thing in your head of what your reunion is going to be when you come home and you know what it is it is sheer enjoyment well mine wasn't but typically it's sheer enjoyment oh, i love you oh my god yeah finally woo kiss doop 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 uh, yeah and then you're uncomfortable hmm. somebody yeah. you've been with forever right because it's you've been away from each other for so long now she's having to change her daily routine to accommodate you and you want it your way or partially your way, which isn't the way she, and you start getting these little, these little things that just aren't jiving correctly. Right. And you weren't expecting that you had this big glorious reunion and, Oh, my first week at home, this is what I'm going to do. And it's not quite as glorious as you pictured it in your mind. Right. Not to mention, I'm happy, but I don't really feel much. And nothing makes you feel. That's when I started realizing I got a problem, man. Like nothing is feeling this void of boredom, of, of shoot, inadequacy. Like I, I'm, I, I'm not doing anything that, that's meaningful. Right. Then you start having these little, you know, just little complications in your relationship that just, and uh, if you're lucky enough to even come home to a wife, and then that's, that's, man, that's brutal, but no one talks about those relationship things like that you need to work on and that she's going to need to work on. And I'll tell you, man, when you don't have feelings, when you can't do something and actually make yourself happy and you're doing all the stuff you used to do that sure. made you happy. And now you get no feeling from it. That's when guys start getting dark, man. That's when you know, the booze and the drugs and man, they're, they're, they're desperate. Yep. They're desperate. I don't know too many guys that have like nightmares of like, you know, I did some bad shit and, and now I got to live with it. Um, it's not that there, there is that it's, I see most of it is you go back and like, I was with my best friends for a year in life and death situations. And now they're gone. I don't, I don't have, you know, 10 dudes that are willing to die for me on my left and right. It was just like when you left your, your high school basketball team or whatever, man, you probably cried your last game thinking, Hey, I'm probably not going to get to play organized basketball again. Sure. You know, I, I know I did. It was at Marist, you know, right. I remember that, that bus ride home, looking out the window going, man, if this is the last time I get to play organized basketball, man, I'm, I'm broken hearted, man. And, and I had tears and that's what the tears were from. It wasn't from losing, losing sucks, but, like I was literally thinking, this is it for me, man. I, right. I'm not six foot four black dude that can, you know, double clutch dunk, man. I, I'm a five eleven white dude, man. I ain't playing no college ball. <laughs> right. <laughs> it ain't happening, man. And if I do, it'll be some small school. But like, you know, that's literally how I thought. I mean, it's ridiculous now that I look back on it. But like at the time, you know, I'm I'm an eight, 17 year old kid, and I'm like, I'm never getting to play organized ball again, man. I, I was teared up. Yeah. And you get the same thing as, as a grown man when you've been in combat with somebody and you've seen guys and people 
you know, get killed all around you. And now you come home and your boys aren't there. Your, your, your reunion with your wife was okay, but now you're kind of picking at each other because you're not used to, to being home and everyone's having to change their life again because you're back. You're the, you're the big tidal wave that's coming in and, you know, making everybody change their lives. And uh, it's not easy. It's just not easy. Mm-hmm. And I would think that it wouldn't be that difficult for, you know, for soldiers. Soldiers are primarily hard men. You know, they're, you don't have too many Ivy League, you know, parents that have kids that go join the infantry. You know, they may go be pilots and stuff, but like soldiering, most kids are doing it to better their situation. They're, they're leaving their hometown to better their situation. The military's that option. Think about that for a minute. The, getting yelled at, making no money. right is better than being in your hometown like that's a better option at this point Hmm. and people don't really take that into consideration like it's an escape it's a way to get out and and thank god i did man oh thank god i did but But you uh, you you ended up in in um meeting somebody else in in thailand that you're i mean you're married what's her name pam uh pam pam yeah so uh, I did a business there with some guys and it was, uh, you know, that was part of why I lost so much money oh, okay. and, uh, she was working for me. I had married a Thai girl. Uh, like I said, within a year and a half, I had married a, a Thai gal and divorced her. Um, I had uh, a good amount of money and, you know, she wanted Louis Vuitton and Gucci and stuff all the time. And, and, uh, when I'd had enough, when I said enough was enough, then it was amazing all the the issues we had in our relationship. So she was just a girl that was dating me because I had money at the time and I recognized it right away and, and divorced her. But uh, I was with Pam, my she was my secretary. And uh, it was funny because uh, I was on a phone call with my Thai wife at the time. And uh, I was like, um, you know, can you, can you please stop raising your voice? I'm, I'm with, uh, employees, you know, I have, I have some of my employees around me. Can you please stop screaming at, at me on the phone? You know, and it finally just got to a point where I just hung up and, uh, Pam, who was my secretary and my assistant was like, you know, Coon Edward Coon is like, uh, uh, giving you a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. Right. So she goes, uh, Coon Edward, I, 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 I know I shouldn't say anything, but I, I don't understand. And I'm like, okay, well, you don't say it. Well, what's up? You know? And, right. and she's like, you're one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life. I don't know why you're with somebody who treats you like that. She goes, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say anything. And I'm, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, first of all, you don't have to apologize. And second of all, you're exactly right. And uh, so I'm like sitting there looking out the window and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing on so many levels? What am I doing? And so I was like, you're right. That's it. And I went back home and I eventually, Eventually, I was just like, yeah, you need to pack your stuff and, uh, uh, and exit the condo. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, no, this, 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 you are very bad for me. I ended up getting food poisoning. And long story short, I'm laying on my condo on the floor. And my wife has now moved out. It was food poisoning like my muscles were seizing up. I was involuntarily throwing up. So I crawled from the elevator to my condo door. Luckily it's a, like a key swipe. So I like swiped it, the door opened. I'm vomiting on the floor and I'm like, I need to go to the shower. So I'm trying to get undressed. 
So my, my underwear around my ankles, I'm laying on the floor and now I can't move anymore. Like my muscles are completely seizing up oh, and I wow. can't, well, this is, I, I had my fancy phone at the time. This is back when the, the razor flip phones, right? And <laughs> I, I open it up and I'm like, I, I, I like hit redial with my nose, you know? And I'm like, Oh, please be somebody I know would not like a business or something. And it <laughs> Pam. <clears throat> and I was like, um, I know this is highly inappropriate, but, uh, I really need your help. I don't know. 911 in, in Thailand. Um, I might need to go to the hospital. Can you please come to my condo? And, uh, I'm lucky no one came in my condo cause I left the door open and I'm laying on the floor, buck naked, pretty much with vomit everywhere. Anyone that walked by the hall could have seen it. Luckily they didn't, but she shows up and she's like, Oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, I know this looks bad. And uh, she started taking care of me and she never stopped. And when I mean taking care of me, I mean, I hit rock bottom. I treated her terribly. Um, I hit rock bottom and I was trying to go deeper. I was literally like trying to chisel my way. I know it can go deeper than this. And uh, she had a four-year-old son. And, uh, you know, hmm. I was adopted when I was three. He's never known as daddy. And hmm. uh, she finally let me meet him. Oh, man. I fell in love with this kid instantly. Oh, neat. Oh, man. This kid was on my shoulders 24 hours a day, water parks, snorkeling, scuba diving at eight. Like, I mean, dude, we did it all, man. I had an episode one day. For me, my post-traumatic stress is anger. I could go from zero to a hundred in a split second over nothing. Um, anger was the one emotion that you can always rustle up. I can't always make myself happy. I can't, you know, always make myself sad, but man, I can make myself mad. Anybody can hmm. Hell, turn on social media and look at the anger that you're seeing from everyone. Everybody's mad yep. now every day, every day, just mad. And, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, um, there's no easy answer on how to fix post-traumatic stress, but I'll tell you what fixed mine, bro. It was a very, very humbling experience. And, uh, I don't mind sharing emotional stuff. That's something that I've learned, um, as a soldier, you know, we, we try to take emotions out of everything. Um, and that's another place where we have a problem when we have, when we come home, some of us, not everybody, but a lot of guys they have a hard time showing love and displaying love. And it's okay to do that. And it's okay to, to show your wife how much you love and appreciate her. But we get so calloused, you know, being in combat and, you know, we, we got to sell this image and we got to be this certain way. And it's nonsense, man. PTSD, man, it, it's, it's a rough one, man. For me, I exploded towards my wife. She said something and I just, you know, one of those and... Mm -hmm. I look down and here's this four-year-old little boy who thinks I am the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, I terrified a four-year-old, man. And yeah. uh, that didn't set right with me. No. So I kind of just fell to my knees and started crying. I felt shame. That's all it was. It was shame, guilt. <clears throat> and for me, um, 
that was the day I started healing that I was like, I have a problem. <laughs> I terrified a four-year-old. I don't care who you are. That's unacceptable. Right. And, uh, the look in his eye, I'll never forget. Wow. So yeah, man, the struggle's real. And, uh, luckily for me, my wife and son got me through it. And, uh, what I've done is, uh, I work hard every day to show them how much I appreciate it. Awesome. And uh, a lot of guys don't get that when they get home. Their loved ones ran out of patience, don't understand. Oh, he's just a drunk now or, or whatever. And I feel really bad for those guys and gals. Yep. I got lucky. Yeah. I've had a, a woman that stayed with me. I've been deployed for 15 years, man. 10 months out of every year, 15 years, seven years in Iraq, eight in Afghanistan. And uh, the only reason why I've been able to do that, and I don't know of anyone that's that's done that. I I know some guys that have done a few, I don't know of anyone that's done a run like me. And I've, done, I've been able to do that because my wife is amazing and yep. my son is amazing and they both deserve my best. And my best is, you know, high threat diplomatic protection that that's that's a pinnacle of my career unless i want to go and be like a uh uh secret service and i have absolutely no desire to do that <laughs> right so you know if i want to go and you know run security for anna kornikova or something yeah i can go to you know one of those clown clinics there in uh, uh la you know one of those uh close protection firms oh, but right. that's absolutely terrible man everyone that i've ever talked to absolutely hates it you know, everything from like, uh, you know, don't ever bring that guy back here. Oh, well, what did he do? You know, do I need to, well, I don't like his clone, you know, and you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want this guy to not be employed because you don't like his cologne? When did we just ask him not to wear that cologne? Nope, 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 not me. And that's how some of these celebrities and stars are. They're just miserable people. They're the last people in the world I want to spend my time around. Sure. You know, so, uh, yeah, so now I got the... I was coming to Thailand. I, I met her business fail, went back contracting. And then, uh, you know, we used to travel all over Thailand doing what we called family fun time. And, uh, that took me to, uh, up North in Thailand and we went rafting as a family. And I was like, God, how awesome would that be if we owned a business like that? You know, I, I, I didn't retire out of the military. I don't have any kind of retirement compensation coming in. I'm like, man, why don't we do something like that? She's like, yeah, that'd be really cool. So then we drive three hours away, two and a half hours away to where I'm living now. And uh, there's a rafting company. So we went rafting again as a family and absolutely loved it. And on the way back, this old man goes, yeah, I'm thinking about selling. Oh, no like, way. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm like, huh, what are the chances of that? Like, so we went back to Bangkok. That's where we're living. And I'm like, I'm going to call this dude and make an offer. And she's like, really? And I'm like, well, if we do this, we have to go all in. We can't halfway buy a business. We can't halfway run a business. If you want to move up there, we'll buy this company and let's, let's, let's do it. And she's like, yeah, I got your back. Let's do this. So, uh, I bought the business and we moved up here and, uh, in five years, the first three years we started, uh, you know, campaigning on social media and we became, you know, the number one outdoor activity and the only five-star rated in the area. And then, COVID hit two years of being closed, which was kind of rough, oh, you know, yep. 
Yeah, but I luckily I had a job until we evacuated the embassy when I'm on vacation. Now I right. don't have a job either. Yeah. You've ever realized how many uh, people that you and I uh, grew up with that serve in the military or on, on the police force? Have you ever counted it out? It's a lot. Wow, dude. It's the majority of the guys, mm-hmm. actually. Yep. Yep. There's the a lot of there's a lot of people from close to your uh, your graduating class within two or three years of your graduating class that work for uh, the the Lane County Sheriff. So I mean, there's like, yep. yeah. Shoot, man! I bet you in my class, uh, there's probably what thirty boys, thirty girls. We had sixty two kids graduate, sure. I think, and it was probably about fifty fifty. I bet you out of those thirty, I bet you twenty of them have done law enforcement or military out of my class. Yep. There's only a handful that didn't. Yeah, there's only a handful that didn't. Yeah, Dane didn't. <laughs> Dane didn't. Don nope. Spencer did, even though he works for the government. Right, right. Uh, uh, Clayton Jeffries, but he didn't actually graduate with this, but he's still one of the local boys. Sure. Um, other than that, man, I, a, a couple of the, the kids that kind of dropped out, you know what I mean, from the class. But, man, the majority of them did. Like, I literally was just kind of looking through it. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I think the rest pretty much did. Yep. I think even Don Courier went in the military for a bit. I think he did. And uh, I think you were in the same class as Mark. um, Nelson. Yeah. Wasn't he? Was he? Oh, yeah. Mark Nelson was a. So he went in the Marines and he was actually a recon Marine. And then he switched over to be an officer in the Navy. Now he's. retired living in idaho okay still running super marathons for fun you know <laughs> yeah for fun you hear that mark you're a weirdo <laughs> running that <mic. laughs> <It was> going. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, still, still in uh, incredible shape like he's been his entire life you know he's he's a he's a role model to look up to man that guy's a good dude well are you still i mean are you still lifting weights because i used you used to post videos of you uh doing the bench pressing and the no, so what uh, you know, I just turned 46. So my right. goal was to bench 405 pounds at 45 years old. And I actually made that happen. So I used a slingshot to save my shoulders. I was having shoulder problems. So technically, I guess that wouldn't count in a competition because I'm using a slingshot. It's like a, a an assist shirt to keep your elbows in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I I reached that goal and since I've been home. I don't, man, I've lost, uh, well, I went from 240, uh, 45 pounds, I think is what it was there, 47, 247 pounds. I'm down to 198 now. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, you know, we sit at work, we sit in trucks, we're an emergency response. So think of firemen sitting in the firehouse, you know, we, but we, we have to be in uniform. We can't go do a bunch of stuff and, uh, you know, and I'm eating all this food full of preservatives. Sure. You know, dairy, but then you have all the desserts and everything and you're boredom eating. And next thing you know, yeah, my arms are the size of most people's legs, but so is my belly. My belly's big as well. You know, I, I'm not <laughs> doing the cardio like I should, but you know, when you're a bodyguard, people like big arms, shoulders, that, that look of, you know what I mean? The size. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now I'm telling you what, man, my lower back, my knees are loving this lower weight, hmm. loving it. And, uh, you know, what, what, where I'm struggling nowadays is for me to stay home. Um, I got to get my business going. Uh, you know, pe- obviously tourists have to come back because I own an adventure company here, 
but uh, you know, it's like whitewater rafting, jungle trekking, jungle survival, caving, that kind of stuff. I don't have a good routine. That that's that's my biggest thing right now. When I'm doing contracting, I'm doing military. Everybody has a routine. You get in a routine, and and at home, my routines wake up and decide if I want coffee or if I want beer, <laughs> right. and then kind of you know flirt around with the idea of maybe ten thirty, eleven o'clock is too early for a beer, and and then I'm like. Yeah, but this is my life, and I'm going to have a beer. <laughs> no, but I need to get in a good routine, and part of that is I have to start working out. So I've actually kind of did a, a small outline of what I need to do for my day moving forward because, hey, man, I, I, I'm back in, like, I'm a civilian now. I I don't know what I'm supposed to do every day. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, shoot, if it was just me, I'd already be back at work, man. I, I wouldn't even be here. I, I'd be working right now, but I have a wife and son and that's where I'm putting all my emphasis and all my focus goes on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, what's one thing that, that, that people don't sit down and tell soldiers, you know, when they're suffering from post-traumatic stress or they're, they're having issues is dude, what do you think your wife is going through? Mm. Yeah, there you go. And uh, that's something that I try to say to myself every single day, because since I've been away um, two years, COVID closed our business. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I was trapped at work for 11 and a half months. I didn't see my wife. Then I saw her for 40 days and I didn't see her for another six months. They're hurting too. Yep. They're depressed too. And and when we come home, there's the one thing that I don't like about current soldiers and the, the whole theme is, their entitlements just because they deployed like they're entitled to people need to listen to their opinions more because well they're a combat veteran if he speaks about iraq well then obviously he knows more you know what i mean it's like i don't hold anyone up on a pedestal like we're all people we all put our pants on the same way and you're going to be better at some things than i am but i don't have to idolize you or you, you know what i mean yeah and Soldiers nowadays, man, I, I I had to go through my Facebook and just start deleting stuff because it's, you know, when it first started, I was like, oh, look at all this go army stuff and contracting stuff and this hua hua moto, you know, look at all these guns and, and gear and man, that stuff, I, I, that's the last stuff I want to see. Mm-hmm. I want to see pictures of you and your family and your kids playing ball like I don't want to see any of that political stuff. I don't want to hear any of that hua hua go army crap, mm-hmm. man. I am over it, right? Completely over it. I'll I'll go back and do it again if I have to, but like I'm over it, man. Right. I am so tired of look. Does, is there anybody in America that truly believes that the direction our government's going is a good thing? <laughs> like our country is going in a direction that's good for anyone. Is anyone. They- Name one person that is good for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. it's so depressing to me. Like I have no desire to go back to the States. I have no desire to, to uh, work for the government again. Uh, I'll do whatever I have to for my family, but I'll tell you what, just being home, being a civilian is fantastic, but it's just, I, I don't work for somebody. I only work for myself now and I'm not used to that. So if I'm not motivating myself, then my employees are not motivated. Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, but why would you, why would you want, I mean, you're, you're living in Thailand, you got a wife and a, and a son and I mean, why would you want to come back to the U S I mean, Thailand is well, beautiful. I'll tell you why, 
people like you for one mate oh thank you awesome. there's, there, there's awesome people there there's people that i do jake chichov yep yep good guy he's one, one of the greatest dudes ever man yep. i love that man as a brother that guy has been i'll tell you what you want to know something and this isn't just me trying to blow smoke on on, on your uh your podcast i honestly believe jake chichov and you man since the fifth grade the most real down to earth, never changing people I've probably ever met oh. is faithful and loyal and as kind and caring and giving, um, is the day I met you, you, you have been your entire lives, man. And, and Jake Chichov's one of those guys as well. And I absolutely miss that guy. I miss hanging out with them and going shooting guns with them and stuff. Yep. Um, I miss my family, you know, I miss Oregon. Hell, I grew up there. I love that place. Yeah. But man, I'm telling you, the American dream is very possible. It's just so much easier other places. That's interesting. Yeah. You can work your job there and save your money and have a retirement and you can go down to central South America, anywhere down there. Well, put it this way. Um, I just went and got a banana coconut smoothie and a large latte and it cost me $2. No way. I have a house here. I have two houses side by side. They're townhouses. So they have like the shops underneath and then you live upstairs, right? Sure. So, you know, a normal garage door. Mm -hmm. So one of my houses is two garage doors wide down below. Mm -hmm. So I have four garage doors wide, four bedrooms, four bathrooms, two kitchens, and four garage doors, like double deep garages of space down below. Wow. My rent for all of that is 12,000 baht. That means my rent for these two houses, four bedrooms, four baths, two kitchens is 300 and some dollars a month total for both houses. Holy cow. That's <laughs> wow. That's pretty cheap. <laughs> wow. Right. That's so amazing. It's one of the things that like America's great, but I mean, you guys, inflation and what is happening with the economy now it's like dude man I, and i'm paying high gas prices here don't let me i won't kid you i'm paying like four dollars a gallon right now it right a hundred dollars to fill up my my ford ranger the other day right um but it's everything for you guys man pretty soon milk's gonna be like eleven dollars a gallon it's, it's gonna be absurd it's horrible you know, where, yeah where does it stop so here's the thing you know you, you've got a good career man you're, you're going to have a good retirement, man. By that time, your kids are going to be gone. I, I would honestly think you're crazy if you stay in America and you don't take that somewhere down mm -hmm. South or, or, or somewhere else, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, uh, to take your pick, man. Yep. Um, you, your, your retirement, you'll live like a King and queen for the rest of your life. Yep. Your dollar will go further. Just getting by thinking maybe I have to get a part-time job, a supplemental income because now, inflation is so crazy that my retirement isn't worth shit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot you know of, what I mean? there's a lot of people that do that. They take their, they take their million and a half or whatever that's in their 401k and they retire, they go down, they live in central Mexico like Kings. Yeah. When well, here's the thing, dude, you don't even have to wait. Here's the thing in like Thailand, you want to open a business. Do you know what you do? You open the business. If it's a restaurant, you build it, you, you put your stuff in it and you start selling food. And if it's successful, then people come and eat. I don't have to gamble with $180,000 of permits and licenses and permissions to do stuff. You just do it. It's fantastic. 
you want to add on to your house, well, hopefully it's structurally sound and you've actually done, but you just knock a hole in it and you add on another brick and mortar section to your house. Like, nice. It's just so different, man. Um, but your money goes so much further. It was funny. I just took people out uh, trekking yesterday. Mm-hmm. It averaged out. I made uh, like $25 an hour, right? So I took four, uh, I took people trekking for four hours. I made a hundred bucks. That hundred bucks will feed my family for a week. A hundred dollars will feed my family for a week. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so now you take that with your retirement of let's say $2,000, right? I just told you I'm renting two houses, two gigantic houses for 300 something bucks a month. I can eat for $5 a day. Now what goes further? You sitting in, in, in Eugene, Oregon or Springfield, every time you drive out of your house, you're, it's just money just dropping in the bank account. Mm-hmm. We're here. It's like, man, I, the whole entire world economy can go up and collapse. And guess what? The food in a developing and third world country still costs the same because it's grown next door. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So you don't, it really is, man. Yeah. I, I miss a lot of things about America, but I can actually, I'm 46 years old. Well, I'm sorry. 46. I am 46. Shoot. Golly. I'm 46 years old and I am potentially retired. I mean, I run my own business, but it's, it's, it's like a party. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's, Jungle trekking, jungle survival, people wanting to go out and go kayaking and rafting and stuff. That's not work. So 46 and I'm pretty much, you know, hopefully retired. Like, uh, you know, I'll do some odds and ends for myself, but uh, I'm not going to have to work till I'm 70, 75 or longer. In America, I think that's where everyone's headed. You're just always going to have to work. Yep. You're never going to get to stop working. <laughs> I think everybody should at least entertain the idea and at least go check it out because, uh, and that's anywhere for that matter. Um, retiring in the States. Yeah, you can, but man, I don't know too many people that, that have the money that it's going to be a great retirement. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Especially with the direction, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Hmm. Yeah. It's well, the, this last, these last two years, the, cost of everything has been just creeping up and it's you, our grocery bill every week was getting higher and higher and you can't even you can't even get a block of cheese for under 10 bucks it seems anywhere so it's yeah it's, it's horrible insane. yep yeah so that's the one thing that you know i i could have very easily ended up in panama or anywhere else it just happened to be that i ended up in thailand you know and then my wife's thai so i stay here but uh yeah, man. Anywhere. Absolutely. Central, South, B- Belize, uh, Argentina, Chile. Dude, those places are amazing places to live. They're amazing places to live, you know, and it's cheap, super, super cheap. But in America, you know, we're, we're, we're taught, well, no, no place is better than America. And, you know, what are you going to live outside of America? What are you, a communist? And, you know, <laughs> right. and, and, What's crazy is, is we don't understand how that actually, you grow up feeling that way. Like, because of that, it's so silly to me. Like I have, I had girlfriends that lived in the UK and for like $50, they could fly from London to like 60 countries for the weekend for 50 bucks. You know, 
I can't go anywhere. I can't go to, to Eugene from Cresswell for 50 bucks. Like, right. No kidding. <laughs> so we don't travel that much and we don't understand really what options are out there. And uh, I'm seeing it more and more now, these younger kids that are, are traveling and uh, they're like, I think I'm going to work for a short time in America and then I'm going to take my, my hundred grand that I save and I'm moving out of the States, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially with everything going online. Every kid that I meet now that comes through, they're all, you know, blockchain, NFT, cryptocurrency, you know, crypto hippies. That's what we call them, crypto uh, hippies. Yep. And uh, hell, they're all making money online, man. They just travel around the world and no matter where they're sitting, they get on their computer and they do their little four hours a day and they're making money. Now I should have paid attention in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've always struggled, man. You know, like I, I, I didn't finish college and I've, that's always been something that kind of, you know, didn't sit right with me, but then I'm like, I've made six figures for majority of my life. What would I do if I went back to college and got a degree and now I owe a hundred grand. Right. And uh, then what am I going to do? That's going to pay me what I'm already making. Hmm. Nothing. Yeah. The answer is nothing. Nothing. I'm a contractor. This is what I do. And I accepted that years ago, years ago, man. I, I'm, I'm making six figures. Uh, I, I like this. It's easy. It comes natural. I'm just going to stick with this. Right. You know, but it just ended up so, so long away from home mm -hmm. and uh, 22 a day, man. If anyone takes anything from this podcast, 22 a day, veteran suicides, people are struggling. They need you to reach out to them, post a helpline, reach out to them literally hmm. not one minute sit down have a conversation and ask them how they really are doing and then if you're going to tell them that you're going to be there for them be there for them right but that everybody wants to do that now especially through social media oh prayers oh you're in my hearts and thoughts and no they're not no they're not Call them up. That's not being your hearts and minds, making a post on Facebook to show that you have empathy or sympathy. That 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 does is nothing for anyone. Go grab them and take them for a cup of coffee. Have them look you in the eyes and tell you the truth. Yeah. How are you? Mm -hmm. What are what are you struggling with? Our physician's assistant. This is the guy that we would go to at my job in Afghanistan for medical attention whether it be physical or, or mental, this is the guy that we go to and he just blew his own brains out. Oh, he just wow. took his life. Nobody is safe. Yeah. You know, John Gresser took his own life. That was really, really sad. I, and I, I had just found him on Facebook, man. Mm -hmm. I literally just like, I, I said, hey, dude, what the hell, man? How the hell are you? And the next thing I know he's passed. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you've got to be kidding me, man. Like, yeah, come on. Like, and with soldiers, it's, it's compounded to it's, 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 it's criminal, man. Mm -hmm. It's criminal. Yeah. My story is an okay story. I've done a lot of cool things. You know, I, I've, I've, I've got awards, I've got all kinds of stuff, but what's important to me is there are soldiers that are struggling and they don't know who to turn to mm -hmm. reach out to them. Yep. Like we reach out and, and, and I know most soldiers, if I was like, you know, reach out to them and get involved with them, they're kind of like, you know, leave me the hell alone. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. But, but they need it. It's a they, front. They, they do. 
It is. It's a front. It's yeah. a front. And uh, the wives, the kids, man, what a tough life, man. Uh, my my wife is literally my superhero. Um, I don't awesome. know of anyone that, that, that's been in the game as long as I have that has stayed married. There's been a few that I've seen that they did a good run, but um, not as long as I have with Pam. And uh, how how fortunate I am. And, 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 you know, how fortunate I am to realize how fortunate I am. You know, I mean, that sounds right. silly, but like, I feel blessed to have come to the realization, you know, of, of what she means to me and my, you know, being home means to me because I'm, I, man, I need money. <laughs> COVID's killed my business yeah. and all my problems will, would be financially fixed right now. If I take one of these three jobs, I got two in, two in Iraq and one in Africa, but my wife has been severely, severely depressed for the last two years. So I was home, both her, her parents, her, her dad passed away. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be home for that. And then I went back to work two months later, her mom died and uh, she's all alone. COVID protocols. No one can come visit her. No, she's just sitting here alone in this house. And uh, yeah, I, my deployment was every bit as tough on her uh, if not more, because, you know, she lost two parents and her husband's not there to, to comfort her, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. What a rough life. I wouldn't wish this upon anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't want anyone to do what I do. Absolutely not. I missed out on, on, on my kids upbringing and, you know, that was one of the biggest things of us growing up, man. Our parents never missed anything, man. Mm -mm. My dad was a long haul truck driver and he was still there more than most dads. Yep. You know, your parents, shoot, man, they didn't miss anything, man. None of our parents did. They were all involved with us. And oh. I missed out on that with my son. And that's a, a guilt that, uh, you know, I'm always going to have to live with. Fortunately, you know, I was able to pay for some pretty good private school for him, but you know, that doesn't make up for lost time. Right. I just hope that he's come away with the tools to do better than what I did, you know? Well, it sounds like you've had a pretty big impact on him just from what I've seen in, in the stories you post on your, on your Facebook and the interactions you have with him. And I mean, it really, I don't know. I'm sorry, go ahead. It, it just really, it, to me, the impression that, that what, from what I'm seeing, the impression I'm getting is that, um, that he has, he has a father now. I mean. Oh yeah. Oh, since he was four inseparable, yep. you know, did have a father good relationship, you know, with, with him, but I, I, I've been gone, you know, and, uh, here's the thing. My, my, my son is about, you know, what he reminds me of, he reminds me a lot of you nah, as far as really polite, well, just very polite and nice mm -hmm. and sincere with everything that he says. And, uh, there's just not a mean bone in his body, you know, since he was 14 years old, he had a dorm room that opened up to the outside. There's no fences, locks, no monitors, nobody, you know, taking care of him other than it's a teacher's house with multiple rooms and the teacher just hangs food on his door. <laughs> My son gets himself up in the morning, irons his uniform, gets himself to class, comes home, does his homework, gets the bag of dinner off the door, serves himself, puts himself to bed. And he's been doing that for three years at the school and he's got a 3.3 GPA and one of the uh, harder private English program schools in Northern Thailand. 
if I had the ability to come and go <laughs> at all hours of the night, I don't think I'd ever go to class, let alone 14, 15, 16 year old kid doing it all on his own. That's wow. remarkable to me. That is I, amazing. Absolutely, absolutely remarkable. You know, the schools here, they wear a uniform. I, I, I've asked my, my son many years, I'm like, uh, so who's the most, uh, uh, you know, popular kid? Oh, that guy, that, that, that boy, that girl. And I'm like, why are they so popular? Oh, dad, they get straight A's. I'm like, wow. So you're the popular kids are the smart kids. Yeah. Wow. Go figure. At least they recognize, you know, being smart is important. And in, in, in America, it's like, who's got the Nikes? Who's got the, the rich parents with the fancy clothes to wear to school and all that, man, mm -hmm. they did away with all that here. Everyone wears a uniform. The richest kid looks like the poorest kid and nobody gives a shit. All they care about is who gets the best grades. Oh, he does. Yeah, he's he's cool, Dad. I can't, he gets straight A's. He's so cool. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Definitely different from here. Yeah, but you know what, man? I, I I've been away for a long time, but I look back now. Cresswell was a great school, man. It, you know, it was a good school system. Yeah. No, the I truly think it. I think it was, man. Like, I truly do. Like, I I, I look at everyone from our class, you know, and I, I'm like or shoot, even your class and stuff, intelligent people. Like, I thought it was a good school system. You know, I, I haven't compared it to a lot, but I've seen, been around America a lot. I'll take what we had over what I've seen most places any day of the week, man. Yep. Yep. I agree. I, I, I don't know how it is now, but uh, it was fantastic back, back when we were in school. That was like, you know, I, I never really realized what racism was. I mean, obviously I'd heard of it, but like we never had any of that. Mm -mm. Nope, we really didn't. Nothing. We, there was the, the seasonal migratory workers and um, we had the Pitts family. It, man, I just, it wasn't until I got in the, down in the South in the army and I was just like, whoa, why are you guys like, you don't like each other because of skin color? Like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it was so foreign to me because we didn't grow up with that. Right. Yep. Totally foreign. Well, I tell you what, Eddie, I have to cut this off pretty soon here, but I, yep. I, I just, I just wanted to say one thing and this is, um, your, your story of uh, you're telling all this about how, how you met Pam and your interaction with her, with her son. That was, this is really amazing because to me that showed it was kind of an epiphany for you to see that you needed to make the changes and you made them and you've turned your life around. And, um, I only, the only, what I, the only thing that I see is just is literally from what I read on your social media posts. But the impression that I have been getting is that you, you have, you've made a different life for yourself. I applaud you for that. I think, you know, I think Pam seems like a really neat person and I think that you've settled down and made yourself a family life and I it's amazing and I I think it's pretty neat. You know what's funny is uh growing up in Cresswell, I couldn't wait to escape Cresswell. God, I remember thinking, Oh God, just living in Eugene. Oh man, big city, oh big city living. And uh, then I did big city living and it's amazing to me how I want nothing more than to try to grasp grab a small piece of our childhood and, and, and live in that today. And that's kind of what I've done in this little hippie community up in Northwestern Thailand, <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. It right. is, 
that is Eugene, Oregon, in a small little town. Interesting. Um, and uh, I don't want to be in big cities. I want my country, everything that we had as kids, man, I've realized the magic that we had. And uh, I catch myself just kind of gravitating to, I'm setting that up for myself again, just small town living, you know, small group of friends. And, uh, but I, thank you so much for that because it literally has been a rebuild of my life multiple times. And, and this time around, I'm not focusing on money. I'm focusing on relationships. You know, the one with my wife and my son being the biggest, but just relationships in general. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Excellent. I got lucky. Yeah, I got lucky, Garen. I, when I went to Iraq, I kind of had this uh, safety switch for me, and it was always kids. Mm-hmm. When you're fighting and, 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 and bad stuff's happening, you dehumanize people mm-hmm. for whatever reason. It's, it's, that's just what you do as a soldier. When you're in a fight, you dehumanize the person you're in a fight with. Um, but I was never able to do that with kids. Hmm. I, I can't dehumanize a kid. I don't care where that kid's come from. A kid's a kid's a kid's a kid's a kid. And so whenever I felt like maybe I was getting a little bit out of control or, or, or not out of control, but like pushing too hard, whenever there was a kid around, I'm like, Hey, Hey, Hey man, come on, watch your language, man. It's kids say hi to the kid, you know, it's a kid, give him some candy. (laughs) You know what I mean? And uh, so when I terrified my own son, it was like, Oh my God, dude. Oh my God. So uh, it just happened to play out that way. I didn't plan it, but man, thank goodness, man. Cause that, that was the day my healing began. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's so many more out there, Garen, Um, keep interviewing veterans, keep putting a mic in front of them. Um, Let's get these guys help. If you're out there and you're a veteran and you're listening, man, you got a bunch of us in your corner. Mm-hmm. Reach out to us. I don't care who you are, man. Yeah. Get, get my contact from Garen. Um, you know, send me a message. Pie Adventures, you can send a message there. If you're a veteran, you're struggling, you need to talk. I'm telling you, man, I've been through it. I've been there. I've done that. I'll listen. I'll talk. Um, whatever you need. If you're out there and you're struggling, hit me up. Please. That's awesome, Eddie. Yeah, there's a, there's actually uh, one another friend of mine who is a is a former combat veteran. I was hoping that he would listen to this, so maybe he that'll be good for him to hear. So, yep, absolutely. Anytime, hit me up. I don't care who you are. If you're a veteran and you're struggling and you need someone that's been through it, I've been deployed for 15 years, 10 months out of every year, seven in Iraq, eight Afghanistan. I've seen it. I've done it. Um, I'll listen. Uh, I'll advise uh, wh- whatever you need, whatever you need, you, c- you contact me and I'm there for you. Don't, don't, don't take your life. Don't do it. You matter. Yeah. You bet, Eddie. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. It has been, a, it has uh, been amazing to hear, to hear from you and to hear your, uh, your side of the story. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I miss you, bro. I miss you too, man. And, uh, Hopefully next time uh, I'm in uh, the the Oregon area, we'll get to hook up. Absolutely. You bet. Yeah. You know who else I want to say a shout out to? Doug Santis. I love you, bro. I miss you, mate. Isn't he? I want to get together with you again. I miss you. He's a riot. I love that guy. Absolutely love him. Well, maybe I'll send him him this podcast. That way he can hear his name shout out. Ah, that's the spirit. Thank you, man. (laughs) Dougie. Love you, bro. All right, man. All Have right. a good one, Garen. Yeah, you take care, Eddie. We'll talk to you later. Bye.
and as we end the show with Looking Back by the amazingly talented Neil Patton. I just want to say thanks for subscribing and I hope that you enjoy the show. If you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash let's hear it. The link is in the details of the podcast. No pressure at all, just whatever you feel led to do. But most of all, I just want you to enjoy listening to someone's story.